It's the next level. I didn't care. I didn't care. Right then, I would have killed anything that got in my way. Know what I mean, Drake? Now I'm the monster. Yeah. If any of those pieces of shit that I killed, if they deserve to die. Panels to Pixels, The Punisher Season 2, Episodes 11, 12, and 13 Review. Welcome back to the show. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And we're doing the last three episodes. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. All three episodes. But uh, we're just going to take them one at a time, do 11 and then 12 and then 13. We're not going to try to to mash them all together in in this because that, that gets me confused when people try to do multiple episodes all at the same time. We're just going to do 11 and then we're going to do 12 and then we'll do 13. So episode 11 is entitled The Abyss. And it starts out, Frank is in the hospital. He's under guard. Karen shows up. She's pretending to be his lawyer. Curtis goes back to the trailer to deal with with what he's just done. Dr. Dumont tries to convince Billy to run away. And we see John Pilgrim get some bad news. But in the end, Frank makes it out of the hospital, but he may have more problems. Yeah. There are a lot of problems with this one, (laughs) especially with what happens. And we should get to our top five, I guess. So my number five is uh, just is that that I just mentioned Curtis coming back to the trailer without Frank. He admits to Amy, and, and I thought this was a very interesting revelation that he's never killed anyone before. That 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 man he killed at the end of the last episode. That's the first time he's killed anyone, and it almost sounds like that's the first time he's even shot at people. You know, and he tries to get Amy uh, to not leave to go save Frank. Um, he really is trying to quit. We're seeing that he's got a lot of, um, I don't even know what to, what to call it, but, uh, definitely the, the working with Frank has taken its toll on Curtis. Oh, definitely. Uh, you could see it, that it's wearing him down as a person. He feel, I don't think of Frank as being a burden. I think it's more of, it's like Frank's there and all this stuff happens and he wasn't prepared for it in any way. Well, yeah, it's almost like Curtis is our everyman of this of this show. He's he's the guy who's like he was just a regular guy. He was, you know, he he had a little bit of of trouble, maybe some PTSD, but he was working through that in the group therapy. He he had his leg, and um, you know, he he was he was selling insurance. And he was just be having leading a normal life until Frank came into it, and all of this stuff has happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, I if I were in that position, I'd be like freaking out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my number five would be that intro with Frank still bleeding in the ambulance, and then seeing John Pilgrim's house with Mrs. Schultz 
answering the phone. John Pilgrim's wife is dead. The hearse is leaving the house. That was, ugh. Yeah, I didn't, the first time I watched it, I mean, like, I thought that the wife was dead, but I didn't put it together until the second time when I saw, when I realized, oh, that's a hearse pulling away. And then when the camera, you know, the camera pans back and we see, um, Mary, not Mary Lou Henner. Yeah. Um, we see Mrs. Schultz and the bed is empty and the, 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 uh, the sheets have all been stripped away. Yeah. You know, and so it wasn't really until the second time. I mean, I knew that the wife had died, but it wasn't until the second time that I saw those things that made it for sure that it wasn't just something we suspected. It was actually for sure she was dead. Yeah, it's it, it was a bit disturbing. And you wonder in the back of your head while you're watching what's going to happen. What's John Pilgrim going to do if she tells him the truth? Yeah. What what's going to happen? What Frank would when he has to deal with John Pilgrim, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, my number four is uh, just is that that scene with Karen uh, lying and then using some logic uh, to try to get the cop to let her in, saying, you know, well, if I can't speak to my client, then they could get a mistrial, and you don't want the other cops blaming you for the Punisher getting released, you know. So I thought uh, that was a really interesting kind of scene that she did, and obviously in her time as a reporter, she's had to do some lying to get into to see people and interview people, and uh, we can definitely see that she still cares for Frank. And um, I thought it was interesting. This is the only episode she's been in in this second season. And do we know like what the timing of this is? I didn't watch Daredevil season three, so I don't know what happens to her. I never got into it. I started watching the first three episodes. That was about it. Right. And then I stopped there because we were going into this. And I thought, "Mm, I'll hold off. And then eventually we'll get into that. And, I will definitely be rewatching with a close eye. Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch as well because I want to see because it really, it's going to be more so. I think I've got it in my notes later for this, but there's really a, the relationship between Karen and Frank is one that I wish we could find a, we, we could have gotten more of. Yeah, you know? kind of like the, the reactions within the scene itself. It seemed a little bit more caring but not loving Mm -hmm. as she was with matt but it was she understood frank in a certain way just as much as she did uh matt the only thing is is that i think she just feels for frank so much as a friend and he kind of took it a little differently (laughs) yeah 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 and and you you could tell where she just wanted to help just like Everybody else does in this little Netflix world. Uh, that would bring me to my number four, which would be, well, like you stated before, Karen coming to Frank's side. But, you know, you can never have too many friends that care about you. But Frank lied to her about the ladies or thinks that he really did kill those ladies within that shootout. I just like that Karen Page is still by his side and willing to help as much as she can for him. You know, how often are you going to find those people? And the fact that she came there at that time of when he needed, and it, it just sparks a lot of, Hey, there's a lot of history here. There's someone here that's going to help, which leads us later on into furthering episode of what happens, which is really cool. Yeah. And I think, I, I think I really think Frank thought he killed those women. 
I think that so is, too. That's that was un- that was my final thought too. Uh, uh, when I when you see or saw how he was very like remorseful and upset mm-hmm. about it. Well, yeah, his reaction, and even when I've got again, this is later on in my notes where when the cop comes in to the room to kill him, and he just kind of holds his arm out because in his mind he has now become the criminal, the criminals that he's been fighting. You know, and so he deserves to die. And in his mind, anyway, that's the way I, I really think that's the way he was thinking was that he deserves to be punished for that crime of killing those women. And it's a thing that I don't, it's, it's again, we've talked about this before about John Bernthal's portrayal of the Punisher that's definitely different from the comic book Punisher in that the comic book Punisher wouldn't care if those ladies got in the way. Well, that's their own fault for getting in the way very true you know, yeah that's that's the way the comic book punisher would look at it he would be like you know i'm sorry that, that, that i killed them but they got in the way they were messing with criminals and they got in between me and my target and that's what happens when you get between me and my target but this is not the kind of punisher that we have here we have a punisher here who really has a code and his code is not to kill the innocent, he's going to be sure the people he's killing are not, you know, the, the people he's killing are criminals. So Very true. Yeah, which which kind of separates him a little bit from the comic, which is very good because, like we said before, it humanizes him. Yeah, the comic the comic book Punisher would be very unsympathetic, I think, in, in our world today. Yeah. We would not be, we, he would be, we would be unsympathetic to him in this world today. Exactly. We'd go after him as if he was a a blatant villain, even though he's right. doing certain things for good on occasion. Exactly. <laughs> Most of the time he's there for hire, but... <laughs> Brings us to my number three, which is that scene with Billy calling Madonna's phone while Karen and Amy are there in the room. And it really seems like, and he kind of says this to Krista later, is that he's trying to to get some closure with Frank, that he's trying to to, to cut it off, and he shows those bullet casings. And this is where we get the first real evidence that Frank didn't kill those women where he shows the bullet casings to Krista and he just blatantly tells her those women are dead because of you, because of the, the direction you gave me about how to, how to affect Frank. These women are dead. And she very clearly says that it doesn't bother her dead because she doesn't know them. Oof. I thought that was that was an interesting scene to, to show us something about her. That she's well, I don't know them. I didn't know them, so it doesn't matter that they're dead. Yeah, very callous. Yeah, it's like exactly. that. That is nothing like a doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, my number three would be uh, uh, the gang together <laughs> of all yeah. things. You know, Karen, Madani, and Amy. Amy sneaking in as a nurse, and Madani following up on Frank. Then Billy calling Madani. And they all listen to him on the speakerphone, and he just wants Frank to burn. Yeah. Knowing, th- and they, I think they come to that realization is that, yeah, Billy set this up. Yeah, I definitely, you can definitely tell that Madani was starting to suspect, and that's why she wanted to go see the bodies for sure. Leads us to my number two, which is that story that Krista tells about her father and basically how she got her scars and her injuries. She finally tells us the truth about that, that it was her father came back from Vietnam and had some PTSD. And he, when the mother was talking about leaving him, he said, well, if nobody can have you, if I can't have you, nobody can have you. And then he grabbed Krista as a child and dove out the window with her in his arms. 
you know, and fell to the pavement and he died and she lived. And it's just heartbreaking to hear that story. Oh, yeah, definitely. That was really wacky. My number two. two. Yep, your number two. That would be John Pilgrim going nuts, <laughs> knowing that the Mrs. Schultz, I got the name right, Mrs. Schultz, yeah. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> is basically using him, using Bible quotes to keep him in line to do what she needs him to do. It's very manipulative, and I don't think at this point he realizes what she's doing to him, and it's going to come to a closure where he's going to realize it and all H-E-double yeah. hockey sticks yeah. are going to happen, yeah. you know? She uses, it's 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 really, and it's an interesting scene that we see because it really seems like there's some way that they're able to travel. She's able, she and her husband are able to travel back and forth from wherever they are to New York in pretty quick amount of time. So I don't know how far away they were or, or what, but because, you know, she travels back and forth pretty quickly in these in these last few episodes between New York and where the, the kids are. Yeah, they have a lot of money. Apparently. <laughs> which leads us to my number one, uh, which I've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but it's that uh, that thing about uh, Frank, wa- he, wanting, he wanted Karen to leave. He wanted her to go away, to walk away. He says, you know, it's, it's almost like, it seemed like she had feelings for him and he wasn't willing to reciprocate those feelings. But then, you know, she does end up walking away. Madonna is helping Frank out of the hospital. Amy kind of walks out on her own. She gets rid of that nurse's uniform. She walks right past Mahoney. He doesn't even know who she is, you know. And then the very end of the episode, when they get outside, Madonna and Frank get outside, Mahoney gets his man. And he finally has his cuffs on Frank, getting him in the ambulance and take you to jail. Yeah, I have to agree. My number one is just the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that ending with the getaway from the hospital. It was it was a, all a setup by Frank's friends to get him out, literally. And Karen being the one to help mastermind the plan was really cool and inventive. Very well done. I was laughing when I saw Ed with Karen's shoes on, yeah, <laughs> walking yeah. into the hallway. Yeah, Mahoney, what happened to your shoes, Karen? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> then Mahoney gets uh, to do something a little crazy on his own, you know. Yeah. But it, I, I was thinking, what's he going to do with Frank? Because I'm not thinking, oh, he's going to take him in. But that's literally what it was. Yeah, it seems it did seem a little weird that he would be taking him. You know, it's it's kind of like you think. I think the thinking from Mahoney was, well, if he's healthy enough to walk out of the hospital, then he's healthy enough to be in a jail cell. You know, that has to be because remember the nurse was talking about how badly he was beaten and all these lacerations. Yeah, and but then. You know, later, Mahoney, I don't know if it's this episode or the next episode, when he talks about the fact that they only used rubber bullets and they used rock salt and they weren't trying to kill him. So none of Frank's injuries are, you know, unless he has some internal injuries, that's what the nurse says. She says she doesn't know what the internal injuries are. So obviously he must not have had, the internal injuries must not have been very bad because especially by the end of the the final episode, we see that, you know, just a few months later, he's completely healed up and he's 100% again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he definitely was 100%. 
So I had a couple of quotes here before we get into extra notes. And uh, I thought it was really interesting when Billy's talking to Dr. DeMont. And it really seems like he really has closed the book, at least until what happens at the end of the next episode or the end of this episode. Yeah, the end of the next episode, actually. He he really has kind of closed the book on Frank because he tells her the thing about getting what you wanted is that sometimes it's a disappointment. He talks about that, that cutting out of the cancer later as well, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, with the cutting out, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then, of course, when he's talking to Karen and she's trying to get him to stop fighting and he says, I don't want to. I thought that was a... Yeah, I just had a couple, but, you know, when Frank turns to Karen goes, does Murdoch know you're here? And Karen looks away and he's like, I thought so. It was a touching scene. Karen was there for Frank, even though Matt is not in her life, apparently. And it's really weird. But the fact that she holds on to that, that to me, it, it showed a lot. Yeah. And uh, the cop saying, Karen, what happened to your shoes? <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, her quick comeback is, I gave them away for a worthy cause. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. I, I really I got to chuckle out of me because it's like, yeah, worthy cause. <laughs> yeah. Some additional notes that we didn't uh, didn't talk about. Already? Yeah, Karen's owing to Ed. Yeah. I, I thought that was really funny. Uh, I'm curious, but I don't think we ever saw what she had to do. Yeah. I, I'm thinking it was a date. <laughs> <laughs> and Billy doing the actual execution of the ladies, then picking up the shells, like you said before, apparently he didn't do his homework in investigations on crime scenes. The ladies were shot horizontally with them in front of the gun or the shooter, not from firing from a distance or from down below, like they were speculating. Something that Ed brings up with the powder burns. They were only about five feet away, plus they were killed earlier in the day, something I'm sure that will come up in further investigations within an autopsy, which would clear Frank in a long run. Yeah, that that's interesting. I'm, this is in my notes as well, is that the fact they didn't make us wait too long to, to find out for sure that Frank didn't kill these these women. But I, I do I do agree with you. It does seem a little bit like he didn't he didn't do a very good job of framing Frank. Like it was it was not a frame job that was gonna hold up for very long. Yeah, it was something you to know, detain him basically. Yeah, yeah. With any scrutiny they were gonna they were gonna pick that apart. You know, that he hadn't, that Frank hadn't done it. All right. Uh, you had a few yourself. The only thing that we haven't really talked about is Mrs. Schultz when she goes to see John. We talked a little bit about that, but I, I thought it was really interesting. And it, it's actually, I have it in the wrong place because it's actually in the next, it's actually in the final episode when she says John can't come back. So I actually had that in the wrong, the wrong spot. So I think everything I've got, we have really talked about already. I mentioned the cop. Uh, trying to kill Frank and that he was just going to let him. Yeah. yeah. The only other thing I had was, well, being a home theater installer is what I do. <laughs> I keep seeing that small scene articulating arm mount for the 20-inch to 40-inch TVs in Frank's hospital room. And it keeps getting to me not seeing a TV on it. What, they're, they're well, just trying to eliminate TV from these people? <laughs> uh, he was a he was a prisoner, you know, so they probably took the TV away, thinking he's a prisoner, He's they're not going to give him the TV. But I, I, I will be honest, I did think about you. When I kept seeing that on the wall, I was like, man, I bet that's going to drive Frank, it's going to drive Mark. Nuts. It is. That, I, 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 I really think that's probably what it was, is that they, they took that out because they knew he was a prisoner, they had a prisoner in there, and they're like, we're not going to waste the TV on a prisoner. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was driving me nuts. It was bonk. I was like, really? Come on. Really? Really? And again? <laughs> it uh, it brings us to episode 12, which is entitled Collision Course. And uh, just a, que- a quick uh, synopsis of this episode is that John Pilgrim, he attacks Frank because this uh, we pick up almost right where the last one left, the last episode left off with Frank and Mahoney in the ambulance and John Pilgrim attacks them. And then Frank, he he's going to look for John Pilgrim. And while John Pilgrim looks for Frank, we see a little bit more of that as as Madani as he escapes in Madani's car and then Madani goes to see Dr. Dumont and Billy tells the doctor that she's going to that he's going to run you know this is the penultimate episode so all of our storylines are starting to come together here we're starting to see everything setting up for that final episode so what was your number 5 Mark my number 5 well that would be that intense first scene. Now, that's a way to start an episode. John Pilgrim trying to take out Frank and Mahoney while they're in the ambulance. That was absolutely crazy. Frank's dislocated arm with that impact from the drop with from the overhead stri- to the street level. That was ridiculous. Coming from one ramp over onto... Oof. That was ridiculous. That was some Walking Dead Carol Darrell stuff there from a past season, if you remember, with the van. But, oh my god, I was like, with that and him being handcuffed, that I, I felt the pain from my arm. Plus, his lethal weapon Riggs-type work of setting back, you know, setting it back into place, his arm. With the with the ambulance, <laughs> that that yeah. was I oh I you know I, I I just had like flashbacks of what Mel Gibson's like smacking oh like twice <laughs> from yeah Lethal Weapon two yeah yeah and this was actually my number five as well and I think I, when I, the way I put it in my notes is I, I said hey Walking Dead this is what this is what happens when a van falls off an overpass <laughs> you yeah know? Uh, because we see it actually scrunch the the cab up and Mahoney's got to be the luckiest cop ever because he had to be just barely out of that cab uh, when it hit the ground you know because that I thought he was dead to be honest when I first saw it because I was like there's no way he could have survived that cab hitting the ground and being scrunched into the rear of the ambulance but as we see when the 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 camera comes back and shows us them inside he had just gotten out of the cab before it struck you know and then Frank breaks that bar to get out sees the flames like he said he resets his shoulder and then he goes in and and Mahoney gets the chance to find out what it's like to be protected by Frank Castle I thought that was really interesting because that's one thing that he hasn't seen everybody's been talking to him about this code that the Punisher has but he hasn't actually seen it in action yet and so it's when he actually sees it in in action that he's able to not shoot Frank in the back oh thank goodness (laughs) Uh, That would bring me to my number four, which would be Pilgrim, Curtis, and Amy in the safe house. That was really intense, that scene, honestly, to see them all together. And then, you know, Scott Scott Pilgrim. No, John Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Pilgrim's another thing entirely. You know, John Pilgrim knocking out Curtis and taking Amy away. That was, uh, I was like, what's going to happen now? Yeah, it was uh that was an interesting scene that that whole whole thing and she escapes and my number 4 was uh just very simply that that fact that Billy he really does want to he wants to get away from everything. You know, he gives his crew their money, he gives them their passports. He Krista calls up Madani and tries to kind of 
find out where the investigation's going. How much do they know? Is Billy alive? Is Billy dead? You know, she's really kind of testing Madani to find out what's going on. And what we find out at the end of the episode is that Madani wasn't fooled for a minute. As soon as she heard, as soon as, you know, Krista called her, she was going to go over there and see what was going on. So it was really interesting to see that fact that Billy really had kind of closed the book on his stuff with Frank. He was willing to let it all go and leave with uh, the doctor or apparently leave with the doctor. But of course, that gets derailed. Yeah. And my number three would be Billy setting his group free, just like you said. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like it was a farewell, like he was inviting death or something. Especially yeah. with that tagline. And to me, it, it was like, hmm, is he just saying goodbye because he's going to die? Or he just, he's done with them, you know? No, I really think he was done. I think he walks out and he says, it's been an honor to serve with you. And takes he takes his part of the money and he walks out. He gives them all their passports. He says, you guys have got new names, new new lives. You've got money. You can go wherever you want, do wherever you want. Let this go. He, you know, even all the guys in that crew wanted to go after Frank and Billy's like, no, don't do that. You're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to get him. It's just going to be more killing. Let's just all go our separate ways. It, it really, to me, I really got the sense that Billy was ready to turn his back on all of this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, it, it was really odd. Plus, I, I was hoping that some of those characters or their names were something from the Wrecking Crew. If you remember Luke Cage and Iron Fist, they're they're uh, they're villains in the comic books. Were the Wrecking Crew, and uh, they they carry like chains and uh, some sort of mallet or something, and they mm. they were literally bank robbers and everything else, and they just cause chaos. And I was thinking, yeah. maybe these guys become this, and then eventually they'll turn that into, like, villains for the Netflix, and they have masks or whatever, but I, I don't think that's going to happen now. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 not at all. Brings us to my number three, which is uh, just very short, is is Frank bringing, you know, going and getting the senator, and then bringing him to the trailer, and it sets everything up for the next episode of, of what's going to happen. You know, he, he calls, it's really interesting, he calls from a payphone, of, of all things, he calls calls in obviously to some sort of dispatch or 911 or something because he gives the the cops uniform he stole he gives that cops badge number and name and he's trying to get the address for this senator and the only thing that that I that didn't make sense to me was kind of at this point you know Mahoney has already figured out that Frank has escaped and they know what uniform he has. So you would think that badge number or whatever would be flagged like in the system. Like if that badge number calls up for something or that guy's name comes up for something, you would think people would catch on to it. But you know, that's probably thinking way more than I need to about it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I guess we had to suspend our disbelief a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, my number two would be John Pilgrim praying as he removes the buckshot from his body oh his bloody messed up leg i should say in the room with amy looking for him within the hotel with the gun in the lobby you know uh, that scene was so was that in th- is that in this episode that's in the next episode i think no that was in this episode because i was in this one i was okay. doing it oh you're right you're right i was doing right. this real time as i was as i was re-watching i was doing my notes that way uh, that right. scene was really scary and it was really ominous it was and to see that leg the way it was, ugh. Yeah. Oh, my ugh. God. That was a lot of blood, and I hope he wrapped it in some way. Yeah, yeah he's, he, yeah, and this is going to play more, way more into the next episode, especially is how injured he is 
you know, and how much he does with all the injuries that he's got. It's pretty, he's almost superhuman in kind of the way he's able to, to still react. You know? Well, be a human scar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My number two is just that, that end fight between Madani and Dumont, uh, you know, ending with, with, uh, her throwing Krista out of the window. And of course, uh, Billy sees her on the pavement. He's got the flowers and, you know, then he, it's all setting up. It goes right into my number one. So I'm going to put my number one and my number two together, I guess. My number two and my number one together. Because it sets right up for the next episode with him running into the building after seeing Krista on the paper. Yeah, that that would be my number one as well. The fight with Madani and Demont. I, I thought that Madani would have had her earlier on. But the outcome was something I was seeing ahead of time during the fight. After we saw Billy, with, you know, he got her the flowers, Demont the flowers. The ending song was really good. That depicted a lot in the ending scene. And, you know, it showed what was going on within the scene itself. It was kind of like a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I had a couple of quotes here. And uh, of course, this was the, this was the episode where he makes the, Billy makes the quote, the quote about the cancer. Where he says, once you cut the cancer out, you don't want it back. And then I loved when, I think it was when Madani was talking to Mahoney in the warehouse there when he was laying out kind of the evidence about what had happened or later on. Anyway, but, but Madani has a very cool line where she says, Frank is not a criminal. He's not a hero either. He's just Frank. And, you know, we had that earlier in the season when he was saying that he's the Punisher, that that's all he is. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is. Mine would be Billy saying, it's not where I'm going. It's who I'm going with. And that was a bit odd, but it kind of shows where he is going later on and what happens to him in the end. Yeah, and that's what he says to his crew, you know, when they were talking about, you know, where are you going to go? What, you know, why are we all going to leave? And he's like, it's not where I'm going. It's who I'm going with talking about. Again, it just goes back to that idea that I think before he saw Krista on the pavement, I think he really was ready to go. Yeah. The only other thing, other note I really had that we haven't discussed is that when, you know, when John Pilgrim is in the trailer and he's talking to Curtis, he kind of admits to Curtis that he would have already judged Curtis just by the color of his skin. He doesn't say color of his skin, but that's really what, what I got was the implication there was he says, you know, there was a time when I would have just thought you were whatever, you were a bad guy, that you were a liar, you were a cheater and all this just because of who you are. I wouldn't have, I would have just judged you immediately instead of talking to you. But then in, through talking to him, he's like, no, no, you're lying to me. You know, he makes that, he makes that really cool line about when he, he's at the trailer and Curtis is trying to play off that that, that trailer is where he gets his booty calls and and uh, <laughs> and he the uh, and John Pilgrim says this isn't a place where you live this is a place where you come to hide I thought that was really cool yeah uh, and pretty much exactly what he was saying too if you think about it. Yeah. So this leads us to episode 13, the final episode of the season, and unfortunately the series finale as well. And it was entitled The Whirlwind. For me, there's a, a little bit of it that's a little anticlimactic, kind of, in, in some respects, because we know that we're not going to see the Punisher in this form again. It, it is a good ending nonetheless. We wrap up all the storylines by the time, and we'll get into it in our top fives, I'm sure. By the time we, we get to the end, we've got all the storylines are kind of wrapped up. Everybody, There's really nothing left hanging, and we just have the Punisher out there being the Punisher. Oh, yeah. You know. So you want to start again? I will definitely start if you'd like. Yeah. 
My number five would be that opening taking off where we left off, just like you said. Now that was really interesting. No one dead. <laughs> what are these people made of? It's ridiculous. They're just like getting thrown out of a window, falling, I don't know what, on a second floor? Uh, yeah, three three no, three no, stories. That's what Mahoney says later uh, in, in that episode. He says she fell three stories. Three stories. Yeah. That's a lot. And I'm sorry to yeah. get away from that. And on top of that, Madani still you know living with everything that she had to go through. And then on top of that, Billy coming in and taking how many slugs was it five? Yeah, eventually it was five. She thought she shot him three times, you know, but he'd already been injured before that as well. Yeah, no, I had the same thing. This was my number five as well. Was just I think it, the the in fact it was the very first watch. I put it in my notes. I was like, what? Madani can't die this early. Oh, okay, she's not. Dead. <laughs> you know, she's not dead. Oh, Chris is not dead either. Oh, and Billy's not dead either. You know, it was just kind of like, like, I'm kind of with you. It was kind of like one of those things where at the very beginning, we're like thinking that we have three characters that are, that are already dead and none of them are. Yeah. You know, uh, in fact, by the end of it, only one of the three is actually dead. Yeah, definitely. Um, that would lead me to my number four. Yes. Which would be the doctor operating on Billy. That was a little sick. Billy didn't want anything to be, or, or, you know, anything or be under while he was getting at. Yep. He's crazy. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, that was a, that was a tough scene to watch. In fact, I had to fast forward through it the second time I watched because it was just with him digging around, uh, in, in his, le- in his abdomen there, trying to pull the bullets out. And you're just like, oh, like as bad as, as John Pilgrim was. My number four is I, I was a little confused and I think I finally figured it out on the second watch because did do you think did Amy get the number wrong the the room number wrong or was did he because okay so here's here's the way I I view it she tells Frank that he's in room 630 okay mm-hmm. now we know we know that he's in at least one of those rooms because her back was when she hears him praying in the previous episode her back is in room 629 so okay 630 is across the hall well yeah. But when, when Frank goes down there, he breaks the door down to the room. We presume has to be 630, but that room is empty. The bed is made, but there is a suitcase on the table on, on the little night table. So he's kind of looking around in the room. And while he's in there, John Pilgrim is in the room next door, which I finally figured out that's where the hookers were a few episodes ago. Yep. When he, when he ran them out. So he actually has control of both those rooms, but apparently he's chosen this other room to do all of his doctoring and his bloody stuff. And that's the room that he was actually in. And so he starts shooting at Frank through the walls. And then Frank shoots back at him and runs out of the room and goes to tell Amy to run away. He goes down the hall to tell Amy to run away. Now, this is where it gets confusing. Because now John Pilgrim comes out of the room that he's in, the room that he was shooting at Frank from, goes yep. into the room that Frank was in, and that's where he goes under the bed and all the guns are under the bed. And so Frank comes back down the hall after telling Amy to run, and he goes into the room that John Pilgrim had been in, because then he's in the room that has all the messed up sheets and is all bloody, and it's empty as well. And then John Pilgrim starts shooting at him from the room next door. It's just a lot of room swapping and shooting. And it was really confusing the first time 
I, I watched it, but I think I, I figured it out. And the only thing I can figure going back to my original question is that when she went, you know, she knocked on the door and then she kind of ran down the hallway and she saw him come out of one of those rooms and she must have just not realized which room he came out of. That's the, that's the only thing I can, I can think of. And so she gave, so she just gave, gave Frank the wrong room number. Yeah. Uh, well, she wasn't certain because he had control of both rooms. So he, could do whatever he wanted and that would lead me to my number three which would be that firefight between frank and john pilgrim in the hotel that was awesome a little flawed but awesome and i hate to bring it up because i'm sorry i work in people's houses i work in uh commercial buildings and there are studs in between walls and hotels people metal ones I, I guess I had to suspend my disbelief for a bit for that scene because seeing Frank jump through the wall, yeah, it was Swiss cheese and, you know, the, the sheetrock just, you know, breaks away because there's holes in it. But honestly, no, because if there were metal studs in there, oh goodness, no, he would hit one of them or two of them in the process of jumping through. So I had to suspend my disbelief for that one. Uh, and, and then the fight in the elevator, <clears throat> that was great. It reminded me of Captain America Winter Soldier, but with a smaller elevator when he was dealing with the, the police at that time. And that that whole taser thing, <laughs> that that was funny to watch. Yeah, it was really, that was a, that was a great night. I'm kind of with you on that, is that because it seemed like, you know, this isn't, this isn't the low cut rate motel, you know, no tell motel that they were kind of in at the beginning of the season when Frank busts through the closet wall, you know, to create that when he had that firefight with the mercenaries, yeah. you know, this is, it's not that it looks like it's a better end. It's a higher end hotel kind of, you know, so the wall, you would think the walls would be a little bit thicker in between, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You got to kind of suspend your disbelief on, on that one and let them have their fight, <laughs> which, which brings me to my, my number three, which is that fight between Frank and John at the trailer. And it was a, it was a lot like the, the Kill Bill volume one fight between the bride and Orange uh, between, uh, Lucy Liu and, oh, that's horrible. The name escapes me. Gosh. It's I know who you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, uh, she's been in all of, of uh, all those movies. But anyway, but it, even to the point where there was a, a, a time when Frank stopped and he goes, do you need a minute? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and John Pilgrim was like, I was waiting for you. So they start fighting again. And, you know, you have these two very highly vote, uh, motivated, violent men. They're both wounded, but they're fighting on. And I, I have to wonder, and this is what I kind of wonder as I watch it for the second time. Do you think if both of them had been 100%, do you think John Pilgrim would have prevailed? Because he was wounded a lot more than Frank. And he seemed to be holding his own, even though he was wounded. You know, he's got that, he's got that sucking the wound on his side that he's been, he's, he's been having to bandage up throughout the episode. You, like you said, he's got the buckshot in his leg. Yeah. You know, um, he was beaten up. And, and so I tend to wonder if, if John Pilgrim had been at a hundred percent, uh, and it might've been bad for the Punisher there, you know, what do you think? I think that John Pilgrim would have given him a roughing up definitely, but he would be working on pure adrenaline at that point. Okay. Uh, I, I, Frank would still have the upper hand of having a little bit more health in him in comparison, Okay. okay. but I just thought, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I, I think it would probably be a good match. 
it makes me curious what the show would have done with John Pilgrim later on if he were to come back and what and who he yeah, would be kind of in comparison to Punisher, you know. That's interesting. I wonder if they, if they would if they would bring him back. Hmm. Well, kind of like my thoughts of like, hey, what would happen if they brought Micro back in season three if they had one, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think we're to year number two. Yeah, which would be Frank's fight with John Pilgrim during the exchange and convincing to let Amy go and just fight it out, but letting him live in the end. But also, you know, the way that Frank kind of manipulated the situation because he didn't have the Schultz's son yeah. at all. And that was what threw John Pilgrim over the edge to go crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's that's kind of, that's one of those interesting things that you, you have to wonder about. That was pretty good, a pretty good bluff he pulled that, you know, that John Pilgrim didn't ask to see the, the son before he let Amy go. So. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, you know how to play a good hand of poker at that point, you know? <laughs> exactly. So my number two is, it's kind of like what I saw at the end of this is it's very similar to like Frank killing the man that Amy shot a couple episodes ago and he tells Amy, you didn't kill him, I killed him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Madani shoots Billy, but Frank is the one who actually kills Billy. So Madani doesn't have to hold that guilt of having killed him. You know, and even at the end, when when Mahoney asks her if it was her that put the the other two bullets into him, she's like, "Well, that's flat. I'm flattered if I was the one who did it, but I wasn't." <laughs> you know, and then even at the end, when he kills, you know, he kills Mrs. Schultz when she tries to grab the knife to go after Amy, and then he lets uh, Mr. Schultz kill himself. He he doesn't he he takes that away from John. He doesn't put that guilt. On John, and it goes back to what Frank had said earlier in the last few episodes. There, where he said, you know, that that he he can handle it. it. It's it's horrible, and he has the nightmares, and it's it it bothers him. But he knows that there's something different in him that he's able to do these things and carry the burden. Yeah, uh, that would lead me to my number one. That would be seeing Frank finalize everything, you know, embracing and who he is, why he's doing what he's doing. He saved Amy, he stopped Billy, and then he helped John Pilgrim, who was used as a pawn. Mm-hmm. He became the Punisher at the end, which was depicted in the comic. Uh, he didn't have as much remorse if you looked at the way he just dispatched Billy in the end. Mm-hmm. But he did have some sort of remorse for John Pilgrim because he realized, okay, you know, and that's his code saying, you had a family, I had a family, I understand, and you were used. And he didn't kill him. He just let him go on his way with his sons. And, you know, that scene with Corbin Burnson was hard to see, honestly. He showed what a good actor he is within that scene. Uh, it, and we haven't seen Corbin... I haven't seen Corbin Burnson in a long, long time, you know. And uh, I thought he sold it very well. Yeah, it was. it's a really powerful scene. And it's, it's really good that we see... That, that kind of stuff and then wrap it up, which, which leads directly. It's very similar to my, what my number one is, is just, I, I love that that ending that we have with Frank, like you said, kind of embracing being the punisher. And, you know, he tells me when Madonna says, I've got a job for you because she's now with the CIA. And he says, well, I've already got a job. And, you know, we see him go in, into that, that room where he's set up. And obviously it's obvious to me, he set up that whole killing ground till he got those two, those two gangs that think they were actually having a sit down meeting <laughs> for some kind of peace talk. And it wasn't the case. It was actually the Punisher setting them all up to kill him. You know, it's just, it's just too bad that the world of, of contracts and negotiations, you know, has robbed us of 
this show and robbed us of this this char- this portrayal of the character. It would be interesting to see a season three, what what they do in a season three. If they, you know, we talked about this when we had when we talked about what season two was going to be. We talked about whether it would be episodic or be a serial or you know or whether you know what it would be. And uh, so I, I would have really been interested to see what. They did with this character going forward, and, and we're just not going to get a chance. Yeah, it seemed like they were looking to go like uh, season to season with different situations, and the the next season would have started off with him working with Madani and being called in as pretty much almost like an executioner, or just to fill out a role that they couldn't do within the CIA. And you did get that guttural, loud double gun shooting Punisher that you get from the comic book from John Bernthal at the very end. Yeah. Which yeah. to me was like, wow, that is a cool shot. Yeah. But you know, we won't really, you know, mind you with Disney plus and they can't do anything with a lot of this Netflix market. They can't do anything for another two years, possibly. Hopefully they could buy out, but whether or not they actually bring back the same actors is that's that's yeah, very hard. I, doubt it. yeah, I, I it's highly, I highly doubtful. Yeah. And Ben had made a made a comment stating, "Yeah, you're not going to get the same people." But I just hope that they could actually, and we've said this before, institute like maybe Daredevil into the MCU. You know, maybe Punisher could be brought in because it is a harder character. But when it came into play in the comics, it was brought in through Spider-Man, and that's a completely different thing. So with what they're looking to do with like Deadpool and keeping it R-rated, but not under the Disney logo, hopefully they will do something where they bring it back. And, you know, fingers crossed, I would love to see John Bernthal on the big screen as the Punisher in a different movie scenario, because what better way to continue on would be to actually have a movie with John Bernthal in as a lead as the Punisher, and where we don't have a consistent change of Punisher people, you know? We've already had three. We had Dolph Lundgren, who I met, John, what was it, uh, Thomas Jane, and then, oh, I, you know, in the movie format, we had another one, a third person. I forget that particular movie, but he was a very larger man <laughs> uh, in comparison. And then we got John Bernthal for the Netflix series, but I'm hoping that they would just continue on on and put it into a movie format, you know? Yeah, I don't, we can speculate, we can speculate all day. <laughs> I don't think, I, I, no, I'm just, I'm just, at this point, I don't think, I think we're just going to resolve ourselves to, we're not going to get that in the form that. We have to have we what have. we have for what we had it for, you know? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I had a couple of quotes here that I really liked. I, I liked that uh, Dumont at the end uh, is still convinced that, that, uh, um, Billy's out there and she says when the time is right he's going to come for me and then of course that little exchange between M- Mahoney uh, Curtis and Madani when when Mahoney says well and what about Castle and both uh, Madani and Curtis go who? <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, just that whole that whole idea that they're going to let him he's out there and he's going to be him you know yeah the only thing I got was uh, that crazy doctor that Billy goes to it looks yeah. like somebody in an alley or something in a, a warehouse and, and the doctor looks at him and goes I need a drink Trust me. Yeah. And then showing his shaking hand before he starts to operate on him. 
which really didn't do much anyway for him because he wound up getting tossed into a dumpster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you get some notes. What? what yeah, you, that leads right into your note, too. Yeah, which would be the use of the song The Rooster by Alice in Chains when Billy was in the dumpster. Seems like nothing was going to stop him. It was a theme for Billy, especially at the end when Frank stopped the rooster and <laughs> yeah. just shooting him down, which was really sad. But he had to put him down like, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think I had this in my notes, but I meant to put it there is is the, the fact that he doesn't even let, you know, Billy starts to say something like, I'm sorry. And Frank, like you mentioned, Frank just, just shoots him. Yeah. Um, it did lead me, there, there was one moment I had uh, that I kind of thought, how did, how did the doctor get Billy into that dumpster? Like, it just, like, it was, okay, it's a cool shot. That's one of those suspend your disbelief kind of things, I guess, because it was a cool shot to see Billy have to crawl himself, you know, pull himself out of the dumpster and he falls onto the ground from the dumpster. But then I'm looking at it going, that doctor did not look like he was the kind of person who'd be able to lift up a 180 pound man and throw him in the dumpster. You know, it just didn't, (laughs) it just didn't ring true for me. Like, I I think it would have been better if they just showed him like on the ground somewhere or something, not in a dumpster. Like it it looked like he was dropped from like a, from above down into the dumpster, you know? And like, I don't even know how that would happen, but yeah, we got a little bit of a comment this uh, past week based upon my little uh, Spider-Man 1977 review from oh, okay. that drop. I see that. So Paul Williams wrote, I, I love that you're, you'll be talking about the 1977 Spider-Man with Nicholas Hammond. He goes, I remember the pilot and series as a kid, just like I did. I uh, really wish they'd put an official Blu-ray version already. I know there's a fan group that was trying to get a crowdfunding campaign together to restore the original series, but they've gone quiet over the past several months, so who knows. Thanks, Paul, for responding, and thanks. I hope you listen to it. I thank you for the feedback, and yeah, I threw up a bunch of YouTubes about uh, Nick Hammond. Apparently, he's doing cons again. But he lives in Australia, so he was able to come into one of the uh, cons in the United States when he was in the area and spend a day or two and uh, give some time and give some feedback. And to sum up from what I said, uh, I wasn't really feeling well last week, so to to give you a, a overall idea... Basically, I loved it as a kid, so I loved the Spider-Man 1977, even though the first interaction we got live action really was the Electric Company, even though Spider-Man was mute and we never saw (laughs) Peter Parker. Yeah. But uh, I had to reflect and go back, and I've reflected over it over years, and occasionally I'll watch it. it. It's what we got at that time. So I enjoyed it. I loved it back then. I still enjoy it every once in a while, just the for the fact that it's nostalgia. I had to go back. I had to watch it. And it was the first thing that we've really gotten on primetime TV, which actually launched into the Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman TV series. And they wound up growing and having more seasons than Spider-Man ever did. Spider-Man only lasted maybe a season and a half. They had a couple of movies in between sprinkled. But, you know, I, I still reflect and enjoy and love that. I definitely would love to meet Nick Hammond and just talk to him if i had a chance at a con but thanks paul for sending in a comment 
uh, anybody else that wants to send any feedback, please do, because, you know, Paul got through, and I was glad that somebody listened to it. Alex Baelish, who we had on for Walking the Talk Through a couple of weeks ago, he asked me through Messenger about doing possibly uh, some of the nostalgia cartoon stuff. I said, we'll get to it. So hopefully I could bring him on, because he seemed interested in talking about the old Spider-Man, or even the, uh, I forget the name of the Super, uh, yeah, the Super Friends, there we go, and and uh, he was talking about that, and he sent me a gif with the, the Wonder Twins powers activate and everything, Very cool. which is pretty cool. So we'll hopefully get in, and we'll do that as a filler. It was only a 22 to 25 minute uh, show that I threw in, because mainly for the fact I was sick, Steve was sick, and Steve was out there do- having fun doing House Podcast Go with Kristen, which was awesome. You guys got to go listen to that. <laughs> yep. So, uh, we got a little bit of uh, comic talk and some news, so you want to start us off? Sure, yeah, I was finally able to, to, to pick up, the, to find the Batman Who Laughs, and I was able to finally watch, uh, read the first issue, and I really really was, was intrigued by it. Um, I didn't realize, I got a little confused about it, I didn't realize we were dealing with multiverses and multiple Batman, multiple Batmans from multiverses in one universe, so it's going to be interesting to see how they, they play that out, or if they ever kind of explain how that was. I'm going to have to go back and reread the comic again, just with that understanding of, oh, okay, this is, but I, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued by it. It's, it's only a six issue limited series. So I'm hoping I can get all of them. Yeah. They're, they're, it's actually interesting. And I, I really highly recommend it for the fact that it's like a, a Batman who has like, <laughs> he has no laws. He's like, okay, I'm just going to do what I want. And yeah. he's evil completely. The, other bit of news that we would have is Disney Plus and all the fun stuff we're going to get. You know, they, it was, what was it? It was Star Wars Celebration this week or this weekend right now. So they're, Disney is just dropping all this information out. So we're getting a Winter Soldier and Falcon show mm-hmm. on the Disney Plus streaming system, which is coming out in November. A what if comic to, you know, TV show, and I love that series because, like, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four was one of them. That was one of my favorites. that was one of my favorite comics to to read as a kid, just to see what the different uh, versions of these heroes, what might have happened if, if, you know, somebody went right instead of went left. You know, what if, like you said, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? Or, yeah, what if uh, the thing continued to mutate or things of that nature? And they they actually ran that series pretty long from what I remember, but I only got the stuff from like the 70s into the 80s. But I saw in a back catalog recently that there were more. And it's based upon art, and I like the older style. I like that, that Silver Age and Golden Age look with the how they draw. But the newer stuff didn't really, yeah in the 90s really didn't grab me so i still focus in on that i'm hoping that they they do something really cool maybe something that was going on within the mcu and they bring in a few people just to do like an hour long or who knows how long these are so but basically the cost of uh the disney plus is going to be 6.99 a month and i think they're doing it at 69.99 for 
the year if you want to subscribe just for the, you know, pay it out yearly, which is really good. It's going to be very competitive with Netflix and all these other streaming companies now. And not only do you get Marvel, you're going to get like Star Wars, Muppets, everything that Disney owns, as well as including all the old Disney catalog of movies, of cartoons that we grew up on, like Snow White, Dumbo, all that. And it's going to be amazing. You know, like I said, today is Star Wars Celebration and it's day one. Disney is knocking it out of the park with this. I'm like a big Marvel fan, so I Swamp Thing's coming out on DC and I'm curious about that because I love the uh, the original movie by Wes Craven and they did a campy kind of sequel to it years later <laughs> in the 80s. I enjoyed that one because Dick Dorak, who played the Swamp Thing in that, he used his real voice, finally, and he was a bit comedic. And he, when I met the man, uh, I met him years later at a con. He was really cool to talk to. And sadly enough, he's not, no longer with us, but I'm hoping that the new Swamp Thing for DC, the DC app, is really good, because I really want to watch that. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Doom Patrol, but my big thing that I really want from Marvel to come out with, and we had it years ago in a movie form, was Man-Thing, and it was pretty much set as like a horror movie. I want it as like a TV show, and they could do an hour long, and they could do something with that, but it was based originally, somebody was trying to replicate the super soldier serum, and some sort of uh, Louisiana backwoods where it has mysticism and everything else, and he becomes this creature. I really want to see that, <laughs> but hopefully we'll get it soon. Yeah, some of those shows sound pretty cool. We have a few podcast recommendations. Uh, what are they? <laughs> Um, I didn't have a chance to write a lot of these down this week, but I, I would uh, highly recommend uh, Strange Strange Indeed, which is working their way through uh, two episodes a week of The Umbrella Academy. That's a good one. Uh, House Podcastica, I was just on last week. They did a Hopes and Dreams episode, and they will be starting back up with new episodes next week. Those are both on the Podcastica network. Yeah, we're gearing up all for Game of Thrones. <laughs> so Steve and I will be... Uh Watching that, as well as meeting up people probably uh, towards the end of May for a get-together for the finale, which would be awesome. Not much else right now since we're on the kind of on the hiatus. I think the Walking Dead cast actually dropped their uh, final episode of Season 9, so they're on a, a bit of a break here until Fear starts again. They may have some filler episodes in between. They usually do, but we always, always recommend Walking Dead cast on Podcastica. And, of course, uh, listen to Brian on uh, the Star Trek Discovery podcast on Golden Spiral Media. And uh, you can hear us right here on Panels to Pixels. And hopefully in June, well, it'll probably be like, what, the second or third week of June that we're probably going to go into Fear the Walking Dead with the Walking Dead talk through with myself, Brian Malosh, and Kyle. So you could hear me there as well. I might just pop in and out depending, or I might be with just Kyle. We don't know. So uh, it, it's definitely something that we all want to podcast about because we got the trailer and that dropped and that was pretty cool. It's not really comic book related, but it's a spinoff of a comic book based TV show, which we all know is The Walking Dead. I would also recommend A Piece of the Puzzle with Evelina Rashino and Christina Wiggins and Erica. 
They talk about autism. That could be found on the Next Level Podcast Network as well. And it brings a lot more to life about autism and how people struggle, uh, what they learn. And it's a, a lot of information out there. I, I highly recommend it. We see this every day, but some people don't realize or how p- other people get through it. And there are people that are going through it with their own child and are not sure. This is a good way to educate yourself on autism and how to connect with others that are out there that have the same issues. So it's a good family-friendly and learning podcast, and I highly recommend it. So if you want to submit your theories or feedbacks or or whatever you want to submit to us, the best way to do it, there's two best ways to do that, and it's to contact us through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash panels to pixels, or send us an email at panels to pixels one at gmail.com. That's panels to pixels one. The T-O in the middle is spelled out, and the number one at gmail.com. What are we going to do next, Mark? We haven't figured this out yet. Well, uh, I'm going to see Hellboy tomorrow night. I'd like to. I'm going to have to see what's going on with my weekend, whether I can see it or not. But if I do, we can definitely drop something about Hellboy. Yeah, just a, a quick one. We'll let you know. Yeah, we'll, let's go from the there. Facebook page. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put it on the Facebook page. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So you can hear us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Whatever podcast format of choice you use to listen to your podcast, throw us a review, give us a rating, let us know uh, how we're doing. We always love to hear from our listeners. Oh, definitely. Especially if within those mediums, if you could actually give us a review, that would be awesome. And send some feedback. Actually, please comment on our Facebook page. So with that, thanks everybody for listening. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And this was Panels Pixels. Good night, everybody. Good night.